Hello and welcome to this episode of the Sports United podcast. We are running a light crew today because it's the fall, which means it's the busy season. It's one of the most wonderful times of the year. Uh, all the sports are almost back. You know, basketball being the the late bloomer and the late start. I don't know why they do it, but almost all the major sports are back, and that means we are back to give our analysis here. Uh, joining us today, we have Sean. Welcome back. Thank you. It's always good to be here, bud. And we have Charles. Good to see you, buddy. So like I said, small crew today, but that doesn't mean we are light on subject matter. Lots of news has come out and we're going to talk about it. So we're just going to jump right in. Season five. So the Olympics are happening next year. And it takes a while for events to be confirmed or new events or events to be dropped. So we've known for a while now what sports will and won't be in Paris in 2024. But in five years time, we have the LA Olympics. And a lot of those American popular sports were wanting to be included um, with the loss of baseball in uh, Paris, it seems like baseball and softball seems to be getting dropped and picked up and dropped the most because, you know, it's popularity depending on where you are in the world. But L.A., that was a big thing that they wanted to back. So five new sports have been included in the program for 2028. Those include baseball, softball as one because the women play softball, men play baseball, lacrosse is a huge one, especially here in Canada. Cricket is, I think, uh, I want to say the second most surprising one, just because the uh, growth of cricket, I think I've seen across North America, is huge. And it's already huge in nations in the Caribbean, uh, of course, over in Asia, um, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Middle East as well. And parts of Europe, it's been a staple for a long, long time. But it's still very, very new for many people here in North America, uh, Canada, U.S., Mexico, and South America as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of people see it as a game that takes three days, uh, but they're, you know, they're a quicker version. So there's going to be a lot of learning. And I see us doing a deep dive, uh, bringing that segment back. Uh, for sure, for a couple of these squash, I know squash was trying to get itself into the Olympics ever since 2016. Um, there was a big pull. Uh, they put a lot of effort into it. They played matches at the Great Pyramids of uh, uh, in uh, in Egypt and uh, really trying to sell the sport. Squash can be really, really cool. Um, you know, it's very, very quick game. Uh, and then I think the most surprising one, uh, maybe not for Americans, but flag football. Uh, many people never thought this sport would ever stand a chance getting into the Olympics. It's one of those sports that you play even uh, for community level or uh, you know rec leagues. You play commun- uh, you play flag football, but it is now an Olympic sport. So those of you that play cricket, squash, flag football, lacrosse, you are playing an Olympic sport. Uh, so you heard this news this week or late last week. Uh, Charles is shaking his head. Uh, not a fan of all these sports, I'm guessing, Charles. What uh, 
what are you happy to see join the Olympics or rejoin the Olympics? And what, what sports don't you do not understand why they're being added? I'll, I'll kick it off with the ones that I'm happy to see. Well, cross, I am thrilled. That is a skill sport. And that, that is one that I, I think belonged on the Olympic stage years ago. That could be a summer or winter sport, depending on how you want to classify it. It could go either way. So I'm thrilled to see that there. It's The National Cross League has been big in North America for decades. I mean, John Tavares, the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, his uncle played in the NLL. So, I mean, it, it's got a long-standing history. Uh, it's the national sport of our country, even though most people think it's hockey. That's just the most popular one. Lacrosse is our national sport. So I will butt in there for a second, Charles. Yep. Lacrosse yep. is the national summer sport. Hockey is our national winter sport. Wow. That distinction okay. that that's online, I, 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 they don't really recognize. Look, that, look that up. You, you can look that up. That is that is actually... it, it is a, it is official in government, but lacrosse was the first national yes. sport. Yeah, and then so, a lot of people assumed it was hockey, so they had to the government had to rectify that. So, yeah, I just, want, I just wanted to jump in there. No, that's fine. Hockey's my first love, and I'm always going to claim it being the best sport of the planet. But amen, brother. You know what? Lacrosse, I'm still going to say lacrosse is the national sport of this country, regardless of season. Sorry, don't care what the government says because you know what? You know, when, when is the government ever right? That's a different story. Uh, so I'm thrilled to see lacrosse there. 100% very happy. Baseball, softball, 100% should never have been taken out. Uh, we've seen the success of the World Baseball Classic with, with, with the MLB players, and we know the MLB players will be, uh, they're going to try and be at the Olympics, obviously. They're going to try and get some lone players. Who knows how that's going to shape up as we as as, because it's going to be right in the middle of the baseball season. So who knows? But, you know, some of the BB players are going to want to be playing for their country. That's the thing. I'll I'll just sorry to keep cutting you off, but it's in it's in L.A. So, you know, they're going to use Dodger Stadium. They're going to use Anaheim. So just like hockey, that's been the, the detriment. I think why baseball has always flip flopped. And, you know, it's in, oh, it's out, it's not popular. Oh, but people miss it, it's back in. But they never are able to send the best on best. And that's why I think some countries um, thrive at the Olympics and then at the World Baseball Classic, they don't do as well because their best are at the Olympics. But like Team USA, obviously, they just like in hockey, you could send, you know, Team A, Team B, Team C, uh, but it being in LA on American soil, do they build in a little break for baseball, just like they do in hockey? Uh, because people want to see best on best, and you know the dream to play in the Olympics is massive in any athlete, especially when you know you're playing an Olympic sport. So, do you see this happening? Hundred <clears throat> percent. The NHL. Quite a few times, you know, 1998, 2002, 2006, 2010, 2014. Took a three-week break, two and a half, three-week break, and they let their best players go and play. And, you know, there's a lot of political reasons why they haven't been involved for the last couple Olympics, and we can deal with that maybe down the line. That's a whole episode in in and of itself. But every time that the best on best go, you know that whoever won deserved to win. doesn't matter the outcome. doesn't matter how they won. 
you know, Canada, U.S. multiple times in the gold medal game. Canada, Sweden in Sochi. Best on best, you get the product and, you know, you, you get new eyes on the product. And baseball is the sport that is lagging with new eyes on the product overall compared to every sport in North America and worldwide in, in, in some aspects. So getting baseball, getting the world will be watching Los Angeles in 2028, getting the best on best. So Mike Trout being there, uh, no, Clayton Kershaw will probably retire by that point, but, you know, pick, pick a great American pitcher these days, Spencer Strider, uh, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, because I think he found the fountain of youth. Uh, he's a, he, he's going to be one of those guys <laughs> who plays only 45 or 50. You'll see all these best on best, and you'll see the good Canadian baseball players that are coming up now. Uh, you'll see you know, all the Latin swing. countries, just like what that's going to mean to them. We, we can go on and on. You're finally going to see a true best on best with no fancy trophy on the line, but Olympic pride that you hold for four years. Very little can top that in the world. So, yeah, the baseball will take a page out of MLB's book. They'll cram the schedule on both sides of the Olympics, and maybe the season goes a week longer. But it will happen. You'll see best on best 2028. And or maybe you know this is the chance to lower the amount of games they play. Ah, there you go. The, the, be careful when you say that. It makes sense logistically. <laughs> you're talking about ownership viewing the pinch in their wallets. They're not going to want to do that as much as they can avoid it. They lowered maybe by like a couple of games, literally a, a handful. Won't be by too many. You, you don't want to touch a billionaire's pocket. Remember that. <laughs> I, I think losing 10 games is not going to, especially for all the teams that are already out of the playoffs come August, they're not making a shit ton of money on concessions when they have to have 50 cent hot dog night just to entice people to come. <laughs> That's true. But you know what? For, for the sake of right now, it's two thousand. It's only 2023. I'm going to go out on a limb and say if they are going to reduce games, it'll be it, – it'll have to be by an even number, and 10 would be the most logical, but I somehow don't see it even being that many. But we could debate that another time. The third sport, you know, we go back to the, the Olympics, the third out of the five new events that I'm actually sort of excited to see is cricket. Um, you know, I've, you know, there's a bunch of people in my neighborhood where I live here in, in our nation's capital. I see it all summer long. I see them in the evening. They're up out of the baseball diamond playing cricket. And, you know, I've learned the game and it's actually a lot of fun. It gets very interesting. It takes a lot of skill. I've actually stepped in and they, they let me see what it's like to see a cricket pitch come. And as a guy who stood in and seen a fastball versus a cricket pitch, I say the fastball is easier to hit. Not going to lie. That, that cricket ball does weird things. So I'm definitely excited to see those three sports there. Uh, obviously, they're going to have to find a way to make cricket matches a lot shorter because you can't have – or they have to have a very limited amount of teams in the tournament, maybe only eight teams so that the tournaments don't – the games don't take as long. But if they're going to have a big field, they have to have shorter games. That's sort of the Olympic organizers to just debate and discuss for the next couple of years. Now, the two – and. I'm going to offend somebody out there, some old man or some young person. Flag football and squash are not Olympic sports by any means, especially flag football. Come on. So, yes, flag football takes some skill because you got to be able to juke and jive and be able to spin. Is that Olympic level worthy? Justin, your former 
football player. I've watched you play football many times. You know, I worked with the team a little bit. So I, I saw you play. I, I don't know how fly, a non-contact version of football makes it as an Olympic sport. And squash is um, it's an old man's game. That's not exactly a game for teenagers and 20-year-olds, routinely speaking. So I, I have a hard time seeing how these two sports made it onto the Olympic roster for 2028. Um, I can't say I'm going to be sitting there tuned saying, let's watch some flag football. No. Uh, give me the CFL over flag football any day of the week. Uh, same thing goes for squash. I, I, I don't really see too many people, hey, let's sit down and watch a squash match. So, you know, if you want to watch Andy Roderick or, you know, going back a little bit, Pete Sanfres, Andre Agassi, Rafael Nadal on a tennis match, that's different, but I, I don't see a big-name squash player coming out of nowhere and suddenly captivating the world. So baseball, cricket, lacrosse, and women's softball, even though I, I, I hate the fact that it's two different sports. We should just rather have the women play baseball too, you know. All those sports being in, awesome, happy, ecstatic. Like football and squash, <laughs> uh Cisco and Eber used to give things two thumbs down. I give it two thumbs and then some for down. <laughs> Even in a shot, I, you know, we haven't got many hateful emails. Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't think that was hateful enough, but you know, it's a, it's a base layer, I think. Um, oh, I, but John, uh, I, I think our new uh, podcast uh, manager needs to clip uh, that clip out and send it to MLB for the idea, so we get credit for. Uh, saving baseball and adding millions of new fans, ones that are not dying and not following baseball. I think five years, that's how you gain a new fan base by sending the best on best. So uh, tell the podcast manager to uh, to find every email possible and send that clip. Uh, I will get on that. Uh, do you have as much disdain for some of the sports as Charles, are you overall satisfied with the uh, new program? Um, I am actually, am pretty satisfied. Unlike Charles, I really don't hate any of them. Uh, I so looking like, have you ever watched uh, table tennis in the Olympics? Those matches yeah, are insane. And that's what I'm thinking squash could be like at the Olympic level. Hmm. Bit of a stretch, hey, buddy. Hey, it could have been worse. They could have added pickleball. That Believe was in discussion <laughs> too. So, yeah. So that's kind of why I'm looking at it out of the squash. Maybe it can turn into that. And I'm not like not the top of my list, but I don't hate the idea. Flag football, though, I I don't hate it either, Charles. And I'll tell you why I don't hate it is we'll never ever see American football in the Olympics. This is the closest football. Besides what the Europeans call football, uh, the, the closest form to American football we'll ever see in the Olympics. And anybody can play it because it's non-contact, it's flag. I don't know if it's going to be like a men's division and a women's division or just straight up like co-ed division. I don't know how that will work, but I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it. Lacrosse, I do love that. Um pretty much for the same reasons Charles said. I'm not really going to have to spend too much there. <laughs> uh, now, cricket, I know absolutely nothing about cricket. 
So that will be something they'll have to learn a little bit more about come 2028. So I got a few years to read up on it. But yeah, overall, though, I'd, I'd, I'm not opposed to them all. All right. So you, you're talking about European football, footy versus American football. And this is the closest we'll see to American football in the Olympics. I never thought it belonged in the Olympics. It's not an Olympic I mean, sport. You already, Summer Olympics already have water polo. You don't need flag football. No, that's that's fair. I'm just saying. There's some people out there, mostly down south of our border, that have been wanting to see American football in the Olympics because they're going to win every game minimum 70 to nothing. That's what I've heard from them, like online and stuff. And a lot of the same people also enjoy drinking beer all day long and watching people take left turns. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Stop giving them ideas. We already said pickleball too many times in this episode. Now they're gonna they're gonna want auto racing in there. And I will say though, my father in law would love if auto racing made it in. I'm just gonna throw that out there. He's a NASCAR right. guy, but I'm not giving them any ideas. There's nothing wrong with drinking, having an alcoholic beverage once in a while, but making an all day event of it with nothing but left turns. Sorry, um, you know what? Like I said, cricket, I'll actually I'll sit back and enjoy watching that a little bit. That's going to be fun. Uh, I, I'm going to have a hard time being convinced that flight football is going to be that exciting. I'm willing, Sean, I am willing to maybe halfway give squash a chance based on your comparison to what table tennis is and how exciting that could be. And some, some of those rallies can be quite exciting, don't get me wrong. So maybe it's got a microscopic chance of being excited. Hey, I changed your opinion on one of the two, so it's a win for me. Next topic. Let's move on, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Microscopic chance. Not much of one. Well, yeah, so I guess that's a great segue uh, to move into, uh, you know, the sports that uh, we are saving here as we record baseball, the MLB playoffs have been going on. It's a little bit of a sad time here in Canada. Another two and out uh, for the Blue Jays. Um, but we have our final four. Uh, at the moment, it's an all Texas shootout uh, on one side. And we also have a surprise uh, combatant in Arizona versus Philadelphia. Um, how sad were you that the, the Blue Jays just could not pull it together, uh, fell apart kind of once again? Uh, what can they do now? Uh, what I, I don't know what they can do other than you know, the obvious is try and shoot for the moon and bring in Shohei. Uh, but what are what can the Blue Jays do now that they head into the offseason to not be in a position where they they have to play a three-game wildcard series again and just get swept? How much time you got, Justin? And how, how much time do our listeners have? Because, oh, I could spend days on this. Well, I guess how much does our new podcast manager want to clip out clips and send to the Blue Jays? <laughs> There's going to be a lot of mailing involved in this job, apparently. So, Charles, she says, keep under 10 minutes, please. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's going to a lot, isn't she? All right. I will try and keep this into a nutshell. Um, first of all, 
What in the bloody baby Jesus was John Snyder thinking pulling Barrios in game two, number one? He was dealing. I don't need to go into all the statistics of what he was throwing. He was throwing good fucking baseball. Why? Beyond me is, like, I don't care what the advanced data may say. I test. It looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. He's throwing good, he's throwing base, good baseball. They're swinging and missing. He's striking them out, not giving them any hits. Go with him. So, it's sad to say, and I know they're bringing him back, but I don't think he belongs behind the managerial bench right now with that kind of a mistake on his record. So, I think they maybe need a, you know, a little old school on the coaching staff. I think they need a little bit more old school on the coaching staff, not so much new school analytics. It's got to be a healthy balance. I think they've got too much analytics dictate the way baseball is played. I think they need to definitely – are they going to get Otani? I know that's a dream of about every baseball team right now. Outside of, you know, a miracle happening him choosing Toronto, they need two left-handed bats who can hit. They need two left-handed 30-plus home run bats, like a Bryce Harper-level hitter. They need two of them. And – this is going to pretty much anger, I'd say, half the fan base in Toronto. They have to be open to trading Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to get it done. They have to be open. And don't mean I love Vladdy. I watch most of us. We watched his dad play in Montreal, just 120 miles down the road from here. So we, we want we, we want the nostalgia. We want to feel good. We want him to be like his dad. His dad made a lot of mistakes in baseball too, but he was able to cover it up with great defense. And when he hit the ball, it was gone. And, you know, he was always a tough out. Vladdy is prone to too long of a stretch where he just he's guessing. He's not refining his approach at the plate for long enough to get hot for a month and a half and carry the team on his back. They have to be open to trading him to give them either an elite starter to give them to pair up with Gosman, so the top the two powerhouse pitchers at the top of the rotation. And then you got Barrios and Bassett to anchor the back part of the rotation. Or two great bats. So without getting into days of data and days of of stuff to talk about the Blue Jays, about how every little decision will impact the rest of it, that's what they have to look at in the offseason. John, did the Blue Jays just try to, you know, play home run ball and just shoot it out of the park? Was that their problem? They, they relied too much on, we're just going to home run the shit out of it, and who cares about everything else? Well, isn't that how baseball's going in general? It's either home run or strikeout. Um, but no, I think what ultimately did the Blue Jays in, I know, Charles, you said uh, Schneider pulled Barrios, but last I checked, they got shut out in that game. With Barrios or in or not, they didn't score any runs. When was the they last didn't, time didn't this year? Them in the either, though. Yeah. When was the last time this year that the Blue Jays played a complete game? Pitching on, they're hitting on, their defense, like all clicking at the same time. They had about one week in June. That, there you go. That's ultimately what did them in. If their pitching was on, if their pitchers were lights out, their hitters were ice cold. If yeah. their pitchers were giving up eight, six, seven, eight runs a game, their hitters just they they, get five. they couldn't keep up. They couldn't keep up, right? They'd get five or six. They just couldn't keep up with it. 
So they just didn't put a complete game together. Now, is that on the manager, the coaching staff? You know, maybe a little bit to a little extent. But I think they just they got to find a way to have everything going. And I know that's easier said than done in professional sports because everyone is game planning against each individual player. But it, it until they can put a complete game together consistently from April to September, they're not going to be much of a contender. It's hard to argue that point, but I, I will just draw back for a second. That's where I think analytics is being too is relied on. They're, they're, they're basing their decision based off of numbers, which half the time are made up and tell you what you what you what you want them to say, versus the eye test. So the no, you know the, the the assumption that if you bring in a left-handed pitcher like Kikuchi, that the Twins will have to either burn their bench or they're going to have a weak inning. Why? I'm not saying that's the only reason they lost that game. Yes, the hitters couldn't do a damn thing to save their lives. Mm. But why take that chance? Why are you going to roll the dice in the fourth inning? If it's a seventh inning, okay, makes sense. It's later in the game. Mm-hmm. But why so early? Why make that jump in the, when Barrios has never had trouble yet in that game? But they did the same thing all year long. They would they would rely on the same arms in the, bull, the bullpen for too long of a stretch. And then they have to back off those arms and go to somebody else. And if that person faltered, the other guy was too tired to take over. So it, it was just a constant relying on analytics and analytics and analytics instead of the eye test. Do you think they no, that's played, completely fair? Do you think they played behind too much? And that was in the back of their mind, especially game one, sure, like whatever. First, anything can happen in game one of a playoff series, but game two. Even when it was 0-0, it felt like they were already playing from behind, whether they felt the pressure like, oh, man, we have to win this game. From the first pitch, it felt like they were behind, even at a 0-0 score. And do you think that got to uh, management and like just relying too much on analytics, like you've been saying, because you're just like, oh, we have to make this work. Like this has this this game plan has to work. Um, And if that's the case. Do you find that teams will look at this or this is like the downfall of relying heavily on analytics? Uh, and, you know, the, I don't know, yeah. Where, where do they go from here other than stopping too much on analytics? Like who do they bring in? Who do they talk to? Like a sports psychologist? Like they're just, the season's <laughs> over and they still feel like a hot mess. It's a lot of questions. A lot of questions with them. We'll get we'll get the answers to these questions over the next eight weeks or so, <clears throat> but there is no quick answer to your question, Justin. Reality is that they 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 have to do <clears throat> a proper review of the organization, top to bottom, and they have to be a fr- they can't be afraid to make a hard choice. You know, firing somebody who's you know well loved in the clubhouse, trading a star player. You know, or uh, Firing an executive who's well liked by his peers, they have to do something a little drastic to show results in the field matter more than how you're liked. Because at the end of the day, you're not you, you don't play professional sports to make friends. 
You play it to do two things, make money and win championships. It almost feels like that. It feels (laughs) like they're trying to capture the magic of 2015 and 16 uh, because that was a magical time. um, And, you know, that, you know, there's, there's the core to do it. Like they, they have, they have the foundation, but I think they're just so worried that doing something will take them away from that and not have that feeling that they're, they're trying. It's like, you're trying too hard to justify something and you keep like going and going. And you, it's almost like you're making a fool of yourself. You're like, Oh no, please. Like, Oh no, it's like this. It's all this. because you're just they're. Tr- it feels like they're trying to get back to 2015, 16. But okay, look at 2015, 2016's rosters. Look at the look at the big names and the and the key figures. Excuse me, of those times: Jose Bautista, Eddie Encarnacion, Josh Donaldson, Troy Tulowitzki. Were they always liked in the clubhouse? No, that they argued with each other and with other teammates. And sometimes they were wrong. Sometimes they were right. But they were intense professional players. They cared more about winning than your feelings. And if it meant calling you out in the clubhouse, they called you out. Especially Bautista. He wasn't afraid to call anybody in baseball out. And I I think that the Blue Jays, I, I don't know this for a fact, obviously, but from what it looks like, they're trying too hard to have a team that all likes each other. Well, that's nice in theory. You've got to have a little bit of abrasiveness and sandpaper around there to fire people up. Well, there, there's no defined leader. That, but look, Bautista was the leader of that clubhouse. Exactly. Yeah, like there, like you can say there's a captain or whatnot, but there, there's there no clear. <laughs> there's Sorry, no clear captain. person. <clears throat> Like, and I think someone either needs to discover that over the winter and just come out at training camp, or they need to go find that person. Uh, something like that. That's the, the least they can do to start rebuilding the character of, of the Jays. What well, one last, one last comment before we move on, but we talk about captains of the team and leaders, even when the Blue Jays were an also ran. They were, they were always that second and third tier organization in baseball, late 90s, early 2000s, especially early to mid 2000s. Doc Halliday was the unquestioned leader of that clubhouse. Roy Halliday, rest in peace, Doc, was always the leader of that clubhouse. When Especially when he pitched, you behaved as Roy did. You, you, you behaved like if he was pissed, you stayed away and you focused on, you know, getting the game back under control. And, you know, when he wasn't pitching, he was right there watching the game and uh, motioning teammates aside saying, hey, look at this. So someone, whether they bring him in from outside, whether someone finds their set of balls over the winter and actually decides I'm going to be leading this team and we're done with this two and out bullshit, someone's got to figure out how to lead that team uh, other than management. Someone's got to be the guy who calls them out. Otherwise, as Sean said, they – we can hope they're a contender. We can say on them paper they're a contender, but they won't actually play like contenders. That yeah, you <laughs> said it. You said it perfectly right there. You said it perfectly. Now, just uh, one thing I wanted to talk about about these playoffs as a whole 
this is the second year with this format. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. The number one and two seeds both years got like they lost in the first round of their in the in the DS. Like, does baseball have a problem with their playoff format? You got a you got a six seed in the champion and nothing against being a low seed, you know, it's always great stories when you see the low seeds be successful, but having the number one and two seeds having the buy during the wild card round, is that hurting the baseball playoffs? Or do they need to reseed after the first round there? Like how did why did Arizona not play the Braves? Yeah. Why did they not play the Braves? Why was it Philly uh, versus the Braves. Yeah. You know, you know what? I'll, I'll say the reseeding might be a good idea. But at the same time. Or sorry, Arizona played LA. Yeah, but 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 Arizona should have yeah. played the Braves with your reseeding. Yeah, they should have played the Braves, yes. Um, you know what? I I mentioned this, you know, we, we, we chat amongst each other amongst each other, you know, when we're not on camera here or, or you know, on the radio here. Each each of the teams that lost, even Atlanta, I, I didn't get into it because they hadn't been eliminated yet when we talked about it. Each of the teams that got the, at the top had a fatal flaw. The Dodgers have been consistent underachievers for 10 to 15 years. They have been picked by most MLB analysts for most of the last decade plus to be in the World Series or winning it. <clears throat> so, And they've gone to the World Series twice, winning it once. Not an exactly great track record when you're supposed to be that dominant, and you and you have such regular season success. They always seem to choke. Atlanta had injuries, and they actually, outside of um, two starters, they didn't have a great starting starting rotation. Actually, their bullpen made up for a lot of uh, shortcomings that the rotation had throughout the year. So they got exposed in a five game series. It, and then the Phillies did it the same way they did last year. They just out hit people. So when you when when your team when, when your pitching staff and when your bullpen's been used a lot, and you know maybe guys are a little tired by the, by the time you get to October, the, the Phillies just they had a slightly hotter hand and they went when they, they took advantage of it. I don't think they necessarily have a have a problem. A tweak here and there maybe. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles, young and experienced, they didn't. They really didn't know what they were doing. They, they'd never been that far. They don't have anyone on that team who knows what it's like to be in the playoffs under pressure. So the pressure got to them. Um, who am I missing? Tampa Bay, half a team. They've been injured all year long, and it finally caught up with them in, in the in the wild card. And the you know, and the Twins. Well, they were only in the playoffs because they played in a crappy division. So. Not really surprised that they, they didn't stick around too long either. So I don't think baseball's playoffs have a problem. I think they just need a tweak. Fair I mean, enough. hey, the, Fair the, the Texas Rangers were one game short of being a division winner. Hmm. They lost it, I think, on a tie break, actually, right? I believe so, yes. I think that was very similar. Yeah, yeah they, they lost it on a tie break, and that's what bumped the Blue Jays down to face the the twins yeah so in the, in this case being the the, the texas shootout that the, that the rangers are quite handily winning right now two games to none 
that's not really a case of a lower seed going further than a division leader. That's just two equally matched teams in my mind. The Rangers have the better offense. Texas, sorry, the Houston should have the better pitching. But right now, the Rangers are just getting the the, the bounces. They're red hot, haven't lost it in the postseason. I think the Rangers actually built proper playoff baseball team. And you saw it when they swept mm. when they swept the Blue Jays. I think they're they're a complete team. And yeah, a fifth seed is I don't think it I think mass knows. I don't know if the Rangers ah. are a complete team just because of you know, how much they struggled their bullpen all year long. I think they're getting hot at the right time and they're playing good baseball at the right time. I don't know if they're exactly the right baseball playoff roster, but you know. That's just, that's a matter of opinion. No, that's fair. I just I was just thinking back to our, our preview one, and uh, I don't think anybody had Texas being a complete team there, Justin. So, oh, why opinions can change in seven months. <laughs> I mean, I would rather them win over Houston. I still can't stand Houston. They're they're. It's going to take a lot for them to be forgiven in my book. So, I guess I'm a I'm cheering for the Rangers, which is weird to say after all the rivalry with the Blue Jays and everything, but, uh, you know, the enemy of your enemy is my friend, and so the lesser of two evils, I guess, is is my pick on that side, and uh, I think on the other side, I think Arizona's lucky to be there. The, you know, yep. that, that Cinderella playoff story that everyone loves to follow, but my God, the Phillies are making exciting playoff baseball. It just home runs and just the fans are into it. The atmosphere is bananas. Uh, you know, people are winning money on bets and it's they're they're making playoff baseball fun. We all know that some football stadiums and NFL stadiums are with domes, all hockey stadiums are indoors. It's easy to have a loud building that really ratchets up the noise. But did you see what the decibel level of Citizens Bank ballpark was the other night? 111 decibels. That is like ear-damaging level in a baseball stadium. That's impressive. That's when approaching you can, Kansas City and Seahawks territory. Yes, it when is. You can feel it through the TV. That's when you know there's something special. Like it's, And that's what baseball – playoff baseball should be every pitch matters every inning matters it's not some day in august that you know you went for 50 cent hot dogs it's playoff <laughs> baseball so you, you're in your seat everything matters that energy is built up and when something exciting happens you just gotta explode and that you know that's that's what they're doing they're it's gonna be exactly uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Arizona compares to after game two. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the same, but, you know, out of the four teams, who do we see taking home the championship? Who do we, who do we want or who do we think it's going to, going to take it? Just because Bryce Harper and Schwarber, and Castellanos, we shat on them last year at the beginning of the year with their lack of defense. We said a similar thing about them this year. You know, I was I was on that bandwagon that their defense wouldn't hold up. Now, just, just to prove myself wrong, I want to see Harper win another title. Well, actually, his first title. He wasn't on. I think the smart money's on Philly. 
I think personally, I think that's a smart money. What one question was was Harper still in Washington when they when they beat Houston, or did he already? I I believe so. I'll double check quick, but I'm no. I believe he he was gone, and then the year after, that's when they won. Yeah, kind of like a middle finger. Couldn't remember off the top of my head. So this would be his first title, and as brash as he is, I have loved him since day one because I think he's the exact kind of player, attitude wise, that the Blue Jays need. We talked about this. 10 minutes ago, that brash, you know, I'm going to drag you kicking and screaming into this fight that we so love in, in our hockey heroes in this country. So I, I want to see him get a championship. That and Aaron Noah is a hell of a pitcher. The way he composes himself on the mound is just top notch. And Justin, I know you're sort of cheering for the Rangers. I cannot bring myself... Unless they're playing the Yankees, I cannot bring myself to cheer for the Texas Rangers. So I, I didn't say to win. I just said to beat no. Houston because I no, can't stand I, I'd Houston. Rather, I'd rather see Houston and then get a rematch and see Philadelphia get vengeance. Uh, it's just I can't support cheaters. Even if there are no cheaters left on the team, I just uh, two. Two guys from that from that scandal season are still there, Bregman and Altuve. The biggest cheater of them all. So yeah. We Mister, don't take my guys. don't take my shirt off. I'm sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> but but wouldn't but wouldn't it you know be almost poetic justice they get there and they lose? Well, yes. Oh, obviously, I would be. Yeah, that would be the the most justified thing that can happen. Even though most of the cheaters are gone, so it, it doesn't feel you know it's not quite the same because it's not the same people. But yes, it it that if. If you want a poetic major league final, which would bring in the fans and the TV ratings, then it's it's Houston, Philly, and just Bryce Harper every single game, just hitting a home run and just staring down every single player as he rounds the bases. You know that everyone in America outside of Houston is cheering for Philadelphia. If that's if that's the case. You oh, know that that's what it would be. You got one of those fun maps where it's just all one color except for one state, and you're just like, ugh. Well, even even that it would just be one city. One city, yeah. <laughs> rest of the yeah, the rest of the state, yeah. You gotta zoom in really, really hard on the map to get a different color. <laughs> yep. All right, so now it's time for our next Hall of Fame induction. Uh, we started this this season to induct athletes into the podcast Hall of Fame that deserve it and may or may not have a Hall of Fame to be inducted into. Our first athlete was Terry Fox. Um, and uh, the next athlete we have is in the same club as Terry Fox, as they have an Order of Canada, and that is Christine Sinclair. The youthful, uh, young 40-year-old soccer phenom that has the most international goals in soccer, period. Not boys, not girls, soccer, period, at 190. I want her so bad to get to 200. Uh, the two-time bronze medalist, one-time gold medalist at the Olympics in three straight Olympics, the current member of the Portland Thorns since 2013, has been a playing soccer uh as a youth since 1994 
um, and has uh, been with the Canadian national team, whether it was uh, the U20 or not since 2000. So that's a 23-year international career. And she started pretty much uh, as soon as she was able to her professional career uh, at the same time as her international career. Um, just a phenomenal player. Unfortunately, has yet to get the uh, World Cup ring or trophy. Is the only thing, if you were to say, is missing from this career. Um, you know, they've been close before. Being able to play in a World Cup in your home country was phenomenal. I've seen her play uh, in person. Uh, just a phenomenal player, athlete, advocate for. Uh, the the women being treated uh fairly uh we've had this whole thing going on with canada soccer that's the, i don't even want to get into it because it's stupid and holding back things but they've been pushing they've been really clear on what they want and they've been the shining star for soccer in canada since the year 2000 that you know far more than the men have who've just caught fire recently uh, they've been the staple three Olympic medals in the past three Olympics, you know, obviously show that they've got something going on. They have, she's been the shining star that has brought new talent to that. She's playing with now on the international stage to keep Canada soccer being strong. Uh, I think for years to come. Uh, so our, our our induction, our second athlete inducted into the Sports Night Podcast Hall of Fame is Christine Sinclair. She's going to get inducted into the Order of Canada if she hasn't already. She's got, She belongs in there. She belongs in any Hall of Fame you could even conjure up for soccer players, men or women. It doesn't matter. Um, she is, you know, we, we, we spoke a couple times, you know, you want a pit bull on your team to drag you into a fight. That's her. She has dragged mm-hmm. sometimes her team when they haven't been playing very well in, into the fight, kicking and screaming, and they've come out on top by leading by example. So, you know, whatever award she ever wins in her career, whatever whatever orders and honors and Hall of Fame she ever gets inducted into, it should be first ballot. It shouldn't even be a question. She deserves everything she gets. And one of those bronze medals should have been at least a silver, by the way. I think I agree. She got yeah. robbed. Yes. Oh, uh, I still remember. Yep. Uh, I, I was driving. I was driving with that point, and I almost had to stop on the highway and pull off of how ridiculous everything was happening. And so she is already a member of the Order of Canada. She's there won the Lou, Lou Marsh Award uh, as top athlete in Canada. Uh, she's won the Bobby Rosenfeld Award as Canada's best female athlete. Uh, she's on the Walk of Fame in Canada. Uh, she's been given the best FIFA special award for being the all-time leading scorer. Um, uh, other than a World Cup trophy, I think you know the, scoring ten more goals and getting to two hundred, the first person to get to two hundred that you'll always have. I think because four years away. As we've just had a World Cup, it might be. I don't know if she's sticking around to 44 to play in one more World Cup, but she's a special player. Uh, Sean, have you ever gotten to see the national team play? 
I have not seen them play live. I've obviously watched them during the World Cup and the Olympics. Um, usually, if they're near us, it's in Toronto, and Toronto can be a little pricey to watch sporting events. So, haven't seen her play live. Um, and Justin, as much as it'd be great to see her at the next World Cup to finally win it, I don't think that's a possibility. I think Canada, I'm hoping we can win gold, back-to-back gold in the Olympics. And that would be the perfect way for her to finish, uh, yeah. you know, finish her, her illustrious career. As and they've just recently she, qualified, so they yes, they've booked their tickets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, she's won everything besides the World Cup, as you mentioned. And somehow she never won a women's Ballon d'Or. She's never named yeah, the best female player. Uh, it's it's because she plays in North America and that's yeah the stigma of yeah yeah. so um obviously she's like number one for all of Canada when they think of soccer like especially female soccer players but even as a whole like there's not many men that you would put above her in terms of the importance to Canadian soccer I, I I don't think you put any men above her right the only one that might have a shot would be Atiba Simply with what he did in Europe, right? That'd be yeah. the only guy right now that you could probably put above her. I'm not even sure. Like, we, we could argue yes or no. I think I put her. I put him on level with her, but not above her. No, that, that, that's just it. That's it. Like, there's only one that that could you make an argument for right now. I, I, in I think five he, ten years. He, that's a different story. But right I think now, Atiba because he stayed so long with the team and he finally was able. Like, you know, it was that like. We got to a world like he got to play in a World Cup and all that. And he's kind of like, okay, like I I can leave this better than I received it in type deal. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, when you think of Canada soccer, the first picture you think of is Christine Sinclair. And exactly. it's going to take. It doesn't matter if you're a little boy or a little girl, you're thinking exactly, of Christine yeah. Sinclair. She is Canada soccer. Yeah. She like. Maybe Alfonso Davies or Jonathan David in like 25 years. Uh, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, the playing in Europe, winning uh, UEFA championships, see how many more World Cups we can get to, and all that stuff. So, like, they they've started, but like, it's gonna take a hell of a lot. And there's uh, also another young woman who could be in that in 25 years, and that will be the next captain when Sinclair does venture out. London's own Jesse Fleming will be the face of the women's soccer team going forward once Sinclair does finally. She's got some skill at a career. There's the, yeah, the the women's team is loaded. And yeah, uh, if you're not a soccer fan now, now's the time to hop on on board to to see greatness before they actually do retire from the international game. She's still going to play in the NSLW for Portland for, uh, NSWL, whatever that NWSL, NWSL, NWSL yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, maybe that's the reason why she'll she never won a Ballon d'Or. No one can know the acronym for the league. <laughs> but yes, and now it's time to get to our main topic. It is hockey season. It's time to give our uh, our thoughts what we think how we think this season's going to go 
Uh, it is the Connor Bedard show, and we're just here watching along. Um, what do you think of the, the first few games? How do you think this season's going to shake out? Do we honestly think Austin Matthews is going to score 263 goals at his current pace? Uh, does Ovechkin get to, you know, 840, 845 this year? Uh, what do we think is going to happen? What's going to shake out uh, in this NHL season? First, I'm going. I'm going to correct you on one thing, Justin. This is the Connor Squared Show, because there's two Connors to pay attention to: Bedard, the young phenom, and what the hell next can Connor McDavid do to wow us? I don't know. Haven't the Oilers lost both games so far? Like, yeah. Two, and I'm sure everyone else in the oil country where you are, Justin, is panicking. The sky is falling, Chicken Little. Let me tell you, there. I'm. I'm a. I'm a Sens fan. Obviously, I'm a duck out of water here, and there. I hear no Oilers talk because everyone's depressed that they've lost the first two games of the season. So I hear more Sens talk, more Montreal talk than I've heard Oilers talk. And I have, I get confused at what city I live in right now. It's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's two games, 80 to go. Oh, the, oh, the sky is falling here. Let me tell you that it's abandoned it's ship. Season. It's a long season. And no Stanley cup champion ever goes through the season without a, a little adversity and a little you know worse for wear by the time the playoffs start um conor mcdavid's still gonna do something special just just wait he's just weird he's just letting he's letting everyone else forget about him for two days and then he'll be like eh, i'm still here boys <laughs> so don't don't every now and then uh, don't worry about it but no it's, it, this is the connor squared season folks so let's charles just, i gotta put you on the spot i gotta put you on the spot charles bring it mcdavid's got a 850 points on his career does he, he get repeat? He gets a thousand. You heard it here first, folks. Charles this is saying he gets, he gets a thousand. By the way, I'm also in agreement. I think he gets 150 points on the nose to make it 1,000. You know what? I'll go. I'll go. Uh, I'll go one dollar and I'll say 151. <laughs> now, you know what? It's, it, all it's going to take for Connor McDavid is one hot week where he puts up like 12 points in four games. And we're going to be back on the talk of, is he going to do what only Gretzky and Lemieux have done, and that's surpass 160 points in the season. So keep that in the back of your mind as a futures bet that the moment he gets a hot streak, put money on it. Because it's one hot streak from him, and then he's gone for the season. He just goes. So just keep that in the back of your mind out there on, on your uh, MGM bet sites and FanDuel and all that stuff. Uh, place your futures bet there because, you know, you heard it here first. He might still hit that. All it takes is one hot, one hot streak. But yes, he will hit a thousand points this season. And God, do I feel old that he's only been in the league eight years. He's already had a, he's, he's we're talking a thousand points for this kid. But back to the back to the main point here, Western Conference. I think well, let's leave the East because we all know our allegiances are all in the Eastern Conference, really. So that's going to get a little heated. We'll leave that for two minutes. Western Conference. Anybody knocking off Vegas this year to go to the Stanley Cup Finals? One or two teams in mind for me. That's either Edmonton or Colorado. I don't see anybody else stacking up against Vegas in a seven-game series. I got three. All right, who? I'm throwing Dallas in the mix as well. You think? I Dallas think Vegas Dallas? and Dallas in a seven-game series. I think Dallas could 
could dethrone Vegas. I'm not saying they're going to. I'm just saying they have the 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 talent is there that Dallas could. So I throw them in with Edmonton and Colorado. A lot has to go right in my mind for Dallas to pull that off. Jamie Benn and Sagan have to you know play like they did last year, and Matthew Shane has to find his Colorado slash first year Ottawa vibes. A lot has to go right for that to happen. Could it? Maybe. I I don't know. Uh, it's hard to think. I, I would and say they've, they've only played one game too, so it's hard to it, it's a hard litmus after one. And obviously, you know, we totally should have been doing this before the season started. So, but yeah, one game in, and that, like, I mean, I can see it. Like the, it's. I'm just saying, if if Dallas rests Ottinger ten more games during the regular season, he only plays fifty five to fifty eight games. Give me Ottinger over any Vegas goalie. I don't hate that. You, too right? Good. Like you But can't but can they to. rest can they, can they do it with him only playing 50 55? See, yeah. I, I don't know if you guys will agree with me, but I think they can because I think the Central's the worst division in the league. There's I mean, only two not, teams. There's only two not, teams. You're you're not wrong because my my prediction on who makes it out of that conference is probably you're probably gonna i don't know you might not be flabbergasted with how bad that like division i got so. colorado and dallas at the top and then the next five could be a playoff team but they could be down with chicago at the bottom like minnesota winnipeg st louis arizona nashville just throw your darts at the dartboard and whichever one sticks makes the playoffs you think arizona could be that good this year I think I think they could surprise. I I I I think Logan Cooley, he's gonna be up there with Bedard and Fantilli for the Calder. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll I, I think I'm not saying they're going to, but I just think they could have a hot spell. And they could. Like are they that more are they that worse than Nashville or St. Louis? No. No, no so there's already they're that much worse than Minnesota and Winnipeg. Are they really though? Like Minnesota, really outside of Kaprizov, what does Minnesota have? Yeah, I'm not hearing too much chatter on Minnesota. Minnesota, they they have an identity of, as you know, it, it it's still a bit of a holdover, but it, it it's a Jacques Lemaire identity. They play a very sound structured game. They, with the exception of the, when they decided to try and start hitting every Maple Leaf that moved Saturday night and got caught out of position and paid for it. <laughs> But when they stick to their structure, they're fucking near impossible to beat. Because I'll, I'll okay here. Think of it this way: Minnesota plays in 2023, the equivalent style of what New Jersey did back in '98 through '05. That's right. That's fair. I'll give you that. I just think like those five teams, any one of them could take that third spot in the Central. Spoiler: I only got three teams from the Central making the playoffs. Uh, same. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but okay, so do you think out of those five, and th- this is going to sound, it, I'm probably not going to put this right, but the t- obviously it's pretty like duh, but is it the third place team? Is that going to be the the team with the best record against everyone else in the central? 
And I know that sounds like obvious, but is that going to be the difference? Because they're going to crap the bed against every other division and not win as many games. So the tiebreaker, if you will, or the difference is, oh, Dallas, uh, you know, won two more games against their own division than like Winnipeg. And those four points were the difference to get them the third. Oh, I, I, think, think, I don't think Dallas is going to finish third. I think Colorado and Dallas will fight out for number one all year long. So I, I just, I, I just picked Dallas as an example. Like, um, oh, but to your point, I think the number three place team, and I've got to be in Winnipeg, strictly on the back of Connor Hellebuck. I think Hellebuck is the difference maker in that division. Uh, but I, I think he steals them a few extra wins that the combination of Gustafson and Flurry, Minnesota, won't. And that's why, you know, you make a point that is, is, Sean, that is Arizona that much worse than St. Louis or Nashville? No. But I think that Connor Hellebuck is the single reason, well, the big, one of the big reasons why they are that much worse than the Winnipeg Jets. Because they don't have a Hellebuck in there. Winnipeg's also my third team as well, so we do agree there, Charles. Um, But I'm just saying, like, any of them could. And for the same reason as you, I do have Hellebuck, you know, like, he's going to steal them a couple. But I think you play 26 games against your own division. Of those five teams, I think whoever can win 10 or 11 will get that spot just by default. Like, they're going to be as close. It's going to take more than 11. You think so? I think when you, if you look at division record, I think when it comes down to Colorado and Dallas, you know, 26 games, they'll probably each have 20 wins against their own division. Hmm. And I think it's going to take. We, we we both have Winnipeg, so we'll just say it. I think Winnipeg's going to end up with 17. It's going to take more than 11. It'll take 17, but the rest of the division, the other four, the other, the other those other uh, five teams, I should say, Minnesota, St. Louis, Arizona, Chicago, they're only going to have 10 or 11 against their own division, but that six-win difference is going to be what makes it there. No, that's just interesting. I only say that because, like, last year, the Sabres missed out on the playoffs by one point, and they went 12-12-2 and two in the Atlantic. They only went 12, 12, and two against the Atlantic because they shit the bed a couple of times against the Senators. And the and they, they, they should never have done that. I'm just saying, but they missed the playoffs by one point, though, and would had 12 wins in the division. Yeah. So I think, I think if they, if you got 17 or 18 wins against your division, you're going to be up at the top. Uh, like that's, said, just how, that's just how I'm predicting things to go. I could be a complete fool here. You know, I'm just, that's how I think I see it going. I see, I see Dallas and Colorado sweeping the season series against quite a few of those teams, which is why I had them up with, the, you know, that 20 oh, wins. So 17, 17 wins is 34 points just on yep. those alone. Yep. So, like, it's, it's the goal for those teams to try, the you know, the, the first or to get to, okay, we won 50% of those games. Like, the first goal is to get 50%, like, get to 500 or, okay, if we you know you win twelve or whatever, if we were to lose all twelve, then we're at five hundred. There is that the first goal is to get five hundred against those be. other teams, and then you know everything else is like oh yeah we got one more one more win like we're that much closer. I know that's not how teams want to think, but if with it being so tight, is that how you kind of have to like look at it uh, analytical wise? I, I think it. I think it plays off by division. I think when it comes to the central division, uh, they won't see it that way. I don't, I don't think any of the top three teams that we have will see it that way. They're going to break it down into about seven to eight game segments mm. and look at okay, 
There's fifth, there's 14 to 16 points on the board here. Let's get 10. Because then you're looking eight game segments. There's 10 segments of the year. The last one can have a, a few extra games. You get 10 you points. Kind of chunk it off there and it's more achievable and easier to digest. 10, well, you have nine eight game segments and then one uh, 10 game segment. And if you pick up 10 points per segment, that's a 100 point season. That's a guaranteed playoff. Uh, Perform the playoff appearance pretty much no matter what conference you're in. So I think that's how Winnipeg, Dallas, and Colorado were probably looking at it. He's breaking it down by just, you know, the first seven games, the next seven games, yada, 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 yada. So I, I think that maybe for Nashville, Arizona, Chicago, they can afford to see the division like, okay, we play these teams so many times. If we can at least be 500 against the, or no, our contemporaries in our division. What else? Whatever points we get against the top three heavyweights are just bonus points. I think that's they can look at it that way from those teams, but not the top three. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I don't think Chicago is going to be as horrible as people think. It, man, you can't trust the first two weeks of the season, no matter how good a team looks or how bad a team looks. First, um, Chicago looks decent. Edmonton looks awful. So both scales there. Can't trust the first two weeks. I, you know how I just think the, the Connor, Connor Bedard is just going to steal them games. So I, they're not going to finish last. I don't, I don't see them finishing last. Well, that's because um, San Jose is going to finish last. Well, that too, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Forget San Jose even has a team at this point. Like, uh, but, I I don't I I think that was the the notion going in is like oh like pencil it in or even you know put it in with marker I don't and yes you are correct the first two weeks you know take it with a grain of salt but I I see I see stuff there that normally it's like oh we got to like still work on this or this or this they have some of that already ingrained in what they're working at so I think they're already ahead which is why they've been able to be two and two. Um, I think they just yeah. got fucking lucky that Toronto decided to shit the bed last night and then played down to the Chicago skill level and not wipe the floor with them. I agree they with Charles. Be they shouldn't you, be two and two to start the season. Sorry. You mean Toronto's already in mid-November form of shit in the bed, so. Well. That Toronto, Toronto, let's be honest, Toronto right now, uh, and I'm going to say this right now, the Leafs and the Senators both have a very long history of when they're playing a, a, a team that is obviously a step and a half behind them, that they play down to that team skill. And the game is way closer than it should be if they win and or if they lose. It's like, what the hell just happened? So I, I don't think it's mid-November form. I think it's just playing to their tradition of oh we can take this game off oh wait we just lost four to one and we look like fools shit so that i think is the leafs problem and to an extent over the over the past the ottawa senators problem so we'll see if they can shake that throughout the year when they face chicago anaheim san jose throughout the season but I think we can all agree here that the other – we talked about that we only have three teams from the Central making the playoffs. I think we can agree in some order between division and wild card, 
Pacific will have Vegas, LA, Edmonton, Seattle, and Calgary making the playoffs this year. I got four of those five. And let me guess, Calgary is the one you don't have coming back. I got Vancouver instead of Calgary. Uh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a little. Iffy I, on I see, and that one is like flip flop. I'm like flip flopping on them, right? Yeah. Like it was one day it's Vancouver, next it's Calgary. I couldn't quite decide, so I literally just put like Vancouver slash Calgary. They're going to be the fifth team. I don't know who it's going to be, but I got Vancouver and edge up. And you know what? I, I can't really argue that at all because to me, like I have Calgary there, but like Vancouver is just behind them. Like it could easily yeah. flip flop. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Yeah, I think we just put them in a hundred meter race, and you know whoever has the most energy afterwards, like that. There you go, because uh, you know Calgary is the the older team, if you will. So like, are they gonna have hiccups of running out of juice versus Vancouver, who seems to be very energy, especially against well, the first two games were against Edmonton, but they looked they looked light on their feet, they looked fast. I mean, you don't score eight goals in your opening game if you're not up and ready and up for it, like highly energized. So, uh, but is that a byproduct of the, of the Canucks pretty much playing with no expectations this year? They're playing loose and free. Well, that's like that's the thing. Like the past two years, it was supposed to be like, oh, this is like this is the time to take it to the next level, and they didn't. So, did people just go, oh, maybe this is it? And now they're just like, oh, cool, look, we found another level. Uh, I, I don't know, you know the. The next 80 games are going to be, are we going to see what we've been expecting the past two years? Uh, and then is that once that talk happens, be like, oh, we were just off on the timing. Is that going to play down on them? Because that's that's happened before uh, where they've played above or what we expected. And then, it, you know, the pressure or the media, whatever it is, they start to tumble a little bit. And then everyone just goes, oh, there you are. And then that plays with their heads. We'll be saying this, you, Sean, myself, we're going to be saying this a few times over the next little bit, talking hockey, health. And in this case, key players on each, on each team. And in Vancouver's case, it's Elias Pettersson and Thatcher Demko. Mm -hmm. The health of those two players will dictate really how the season goes um, for everybody. If Demko is healthy all year long, he will steal a few games for the Canucks by himself. He is that good. He's a great goaltender. Has a potential. Casey to Smith also looked pretty solid too in the second yes, game. He like he's no slow to the backup. And but and I think that's actually going to wind up pushing Demko even better because he's got someone behind him who can take a few starts. He did in the last couple of years. There was no one really to push him. And, and the goalies need that. Whether or not they actually lose starts is a different story, and that's really inconsequential. They need Ottawa. Perfect example, Corpusalo and Forsberg are going to push each other all year long. I think you'll see the best goaltending health permitting in Ottawa that you've seen since Craig Anderson left. So we'll talk about that again in a little more detail in a few minutes. But, no, you know, Casey DeSmith is a great goalie. I'm kind of sad Montreal didn't keep him. I was kind of hoping you know, he would be our third stringer. But... Other than that, it's good. we're going to talk health among certain teams, certain players. How be how important it's going to be to be a reoccurring theme tonight. But no, Demko, I think he makes or breaks the Canucks season. If he stays healthy, they have a chance to do as Sean said and sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, let's just hope the flu bug doesn't stick around there too much longer. He's Ooh. throwing up into his mask anymore. Uh. <laughs> Did, but, uh, uh, no, I did agree. anybody like, get a video of that? Like, I never saw a video come out of. 
I didn't see it. I just heard all about it on a few other podcasts I was listening to. Yeah, everyone talked about it, but I, yeah. there's yet to be a video of it because I, I don't want to say that's funny, but I like just like just it kind of is there, funny I'm, though, right? I, I'm like, winning. I'm winning hard and be like, oh shit! Like I can't make it to the bench. Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, I'll I'll look at you the there. Cleaner, just yeah. for that. I'll look at you the there, path. Charles. With uh, the the health and Vancouver, Patterson is by I think he's actually the most critical to that team's success. Um, well, Dem- offensive standpoint, yes, but I, I, I think I, I think Demko is going to be the like yeah. When it comes to some offense, he's a straw that stirs the drink. There, no doubt about it. He they they will go as far as he can take them, but. Goaltending wins you the games you're not supposed to win. Goaltending will win you championships, but offense wins you games. What's is more important? Well, we're in October. I'll take the games over the championship. <laughs> you can't win uh, it, but, but no. you lose it. Yeah, but I'll, but I'll ask you this. If Vancouver were to lose Pedersen, where do they finish in your standings? Oh, uh, they lose Pedersen. I still have them finishing ahead and being that team just outside the wild card because Demko will keep them in and steal them enough wins to keep them competitive because they still have um, enough offense to keep going. Quinn Hughes on the back end will still facilitate enough offense to keep them competitive, but Demko is going to steal them games that they should have no business being in. They lose Demko, they won't be able to keep the mistakes out of their net long enough. No, that's fair. I, I just think, again, it's basically the same argument, different players, and yeah. it, and they're both are legitimate, right? Like, they're not going anywhere with... If they're both out, hell, they're going to finish dead last in the league. Yes. Right? Like, but I just think the overall, I think, Pedersen, but again, Demko is, like, the next rung on the ladder. And we can sit here and argue that all night long. We both know yeah. that we both know the other can make a good argument there. Exactly. So let's switch it over to the east. We'll go to the metro. Uh, Pittsburgh. It's, it's two thousand. What two thousand nine again? Yugeni uh, Malkin is uh, tied for points. Um, they seem to be firing on all cylinders. Uh, you know, this is the nineteenth. 19th or 18th uh, season at the 18th 18th. season yeah, uh, where they're all playing together, breaking the record. Um, You know, every year for the past, what, four, five years, we've been going, this is the last kick of the can before they got a, you know, reset or someone's retiring. And that's like last year, we certainly thought it was the last kick of the can. And now Pittsburgh's like, hey, what's up? Here's Eric um, Carlson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think uh, in the stacked division that is the Metro, um, you know, I think Pittsburgh's kind of quietly put together something that uh, I think they're going to have a very special season. And I think we're, we're, we're seeing that right now. Now, maybe it'll be a special half a season. <laughs> and things collapse. Uh, you know, it's one of those. It'll. It was fun while it lasted, but uh, something special, I think, is going on. Whether it can be sustained 
I don't know. I, you know, there are too many times where I've like, oh, you getting Malkin? I can't keep him on my fantasy. He's getting old. Or Sidney Crosby, you know, best years behind him. Like, it, mm. right now it looks foolish to bet against those those guys. Two things on the Pittsburgh Penguins. First of all, they, they play in probably the hardest division in terms of the upper elite talent playing with them. Rangers, Hurricanes, uh, Devils, and Penguins are just going to beat the snot out of each other all year long. You mentioned the Penguins have something special going on. Does anyone here remember the last team to assemble this much star power on one team and everyone thought that they were going to smash the goal record in 2003. You know, do you remember what I'm talking about? Do, 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 do. <laughs> Sorry, I did a Jeffrey theme. I am referring to the Colorado Avalanche: Joe Sakic, Milan Hayduk, Peter Forsberg, Alex Tangay, Tibu Solani, and Paul Correa. That they signed all together to play. That didn't exactly come to fruition, as a lot of a lot of guys on that team spent half the year on the damn IR. Uh, they didn't play together very much. There wasn't, and when they did, there wasn't enough puck to go around. And I think that could actually be a sneaky problem with the Pittsburgh Penguins. There may not be enough puck to go around, and certain guys are going to be seen to have down years, even though the, the Penguins might actually have a great year. And let's not forget, Tristan Jari hasn't really proven himself as a dependable number one. Sure, you can have all the offensive puck possession you want. You can have two of the best offensive defensemen of this generation playing together. Can you keep the puck out of your net more than you, you know, more than you score? So Jari hasn't shown me that he's an elite number one, that he can be mentioned, Jake Ottinger, Connor Hallebuck, um, Shesterkin and, and, and uh, the Rangers. And so on and so on. Some of the uh, Ben Andre Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay. You know, I just named four very upper elite starters. Jari's not among them. Jari's not there. He's, he's even on the tier below them. So let, let's pump the brakes on what Pittsburgh has something special here until we see 40, 50 games in. Are they still this good? Is Evgeny Malkin playing like it's 15 years ago? Is Crosby still the 80, 90, 100-point player that he has been pretty much most of his entire career? Uh, I mean, a lot of people are saying that Crosby's still going to be up around the 100 points this year. I'm not saying it can't happen, but, you know, like I said, there's only one puck to go around. You can only get three points. Only three players can get points on any goal. So is, there's a lot of um, a lot of balls up in the air in my mind in Pittsburgh. Also, you got to talk, you know, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, even Eric Carlson. Remember, he was drafted in 2008. That was 15 years ago. Now he's in his mid 30s. He's ha he's had to have his Achilles surgically reattached, and he's had groin problems since then. Can their bodies all hold up and play another 80 games together? So a lot of questions, more than people want to admit, a lot of questions for me in Pittsburgh. Do I have them making the playoffs? Yes. One-year absence is a high, is just a little blip. They'll be back in the playoffs this year. But on that topic, Pittsburgh Penguins face the same question as the Toronto Maple Leafs. Can they get past round one? 
Penguins haven't been past round one since they won the cup in 2017. So can they get past round one with all this firepower? When we, when we, Sean, you just said goaltending wins championships. We know this to be true. It has been proven time and time again in our lifetime. Can the Pittsburgh Penguins pull a Philadelphia Phillies and outscore their way to the Stanley Cup Finals? That was a very interesting take on Pittsburgh. Before I dive in too much, Justin, where do you have the Penguins finishing? Are they a playoff team? They're a playoff team, yes. Okay, well, I am the minority then. <coughs> I do not think Pittsburgh is really that good. Oh. I think the Metropolitan is actually the second worst division as a whole. Obviously, Carolina, the Devils, they're at the top. I don't think Pittsburgh is really... like They got Crosby. He will probably play the whole season, have high 80s, low 90s, maybe touch the 100-point mark because offense is up as a whole over the last couple of years. Latang, he's been good. I've never considered him a great defenseman. He's had a lot of health issues. He'll probably miss... 10 to 15 games throughout the year. Him and Carlson are going to be really interesting how they actually work on the same team. Because San Jose tried it with Carlson and Burns, and it did not work. It did not work at all. Not saying it was Carlson, but, you know, it's a new dynamic. And like you said, Charles, there's one puck. Carlson likes to be the guy to kind of lead the breakout. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of what Crosby and Malkin and them do. How will it all work over the 82 games? And, like, they don't really have much on the back end behind those two, in my opinion. Oh, really? No, right? Like, they don't have a much. Um, like, you got Crosby. Which I'm not gonna like. I don't have them in the playoffs, but at the same time, I don't want to bet against him. I'm not a Crosby guy, but I respect the man. Like he is, he is gonna do everything in his power to pull the rest of the Penguins into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think the top of the division, the Carolina, the Devils, the Rangers, are as a whole better than the Penguins, and I think that the Atlantic is just too strong as a whole. I think they're going to drop a lot of points against the Atlantic teams, and it's going to cost them at the end of the season. There's not much, you know, you can't really say no, you're wrong to a lot of that. The only the only thing I'll say regarding Carlson and Latang, when they, when they tried Carlson and Burns, both were still pretty much at their peak. So both needed to be the guy. Latang has had some health issues. I'm pretty sure, and he's a consummate professional. He's willing to take a step back and let Carlson be the guy, and he'll play. He'll play second fiddle to Carlson. He's okay with that. So, I think that part is the one aspect where we don't have to worry about it as much. Uh, but the, you, we may make the point of Carlson likes to lead the rush. That's usually Crosby's job. That's Malkin's job. That's Gunetzel. That's everybody else. On the, um, on the Penguins, except their defensemen, usually. 
So it, I think that's actually a very good point. I think it's going to be hard to see. I have a, I don't know. There's something. I have my doubts about the Rangers as being a top. I'm not sold on the Rangers either. I just think as a whole, the Rangers are a little bit deeper than the Penguins. They have the better goaltending, which over 82, I give the edge to the Rangers. I will not argue that, but I'll give the Penguins the, the better offensive firepower than, than the Rangers. Yeah, that's fair. I think I, can, I think I can concede that. In, in, in a one quick calculation in his head there and went, yep, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> in a, in a one well, despite game, what the Rangers did to the Sabres last week, but yeah. I can still concede that. In a one-game winner-take-all goes to the playoffs, I would I would actually put my money on the Penguins before I put my money on the Rangers as the rosters are constructed today. Um, Hold that on. Are you the putting the money perfect... on the Penguins or are you putting your money on Crosby? Because I'm yeah. saying there's a difference between the two. <laughs> like, I'm betting Crosby. Like I said, he'll do everything yeah. in his power to pull that team. And, and that's why I'm putting my money on the Penguins is because Sidney Crosby has what no one else on the Rangers has. A championship pedigree and just an innate desire to win. When this kid lost the OA Stanley Cup Finals to Detroit, he went home and was pissed off all summer and beat the shit out of multiple dryer shooting pucks. So uh, here's a yeah. here's a question: <laughs> Does the Metro take a wild card spot? Because we're kind of at that like four, but is that fourth like if the Rangers? kind of mess up in their head-to-head series against like the Carolinas uh, and New Jersey, and they falter uh, in the division when the head-to-head, are they still, are they going to take a wild card spot? Or are we saying that the Atlantic is, uh, is strong enough uh, just like we think the Pacific is strong enough to take both wild card spots? Sean, you want to touch this one first? I'll go. I have, I have five out of the Atlantic. The Metropolitan does not get any wild cards. I think top to bottom, the Atlantic is stronger than the Metropolitan. Like Montreal is going to be competing with Columbus and Washington, I think. Philly be at the bottom. Montreal will probably finish above Columbus, but I do think Columbus could be sneaky. They might surprise a few teams here and there, but I think at the end of the year, they'll still be near the bottom. That's because Columbus, they don't and, have to turn in their phones every night, you know, so they, well, exactly, they, right? they can play, <laughs> they focus. They don't got to worry about that anymore. Um, right, so I just think top to bottom, the Atlantic is better. And I have, I have five out of the Atlantic. Who are your five? Oh, I'm so glad but you We're not on that. the Atlantic Yeah, We got to wait oh. till we get there. We got to wait till we get there. No, no, who are your five? Who are your five? We, I mean, okay, we can just Toronto. go right to the Atlantic right now because that's the one <laughs> okay. we've been waiting for. I got Toronto winning the division. Yeah, okay. Okay, I'm being a homer, but I truly do believe in this team this year. I got the Sabres finishing second. Despite what they did over the first couple of games, they didn't look good, but I do. But second, and the reason why I say second, Boston is not winning 65 games this year. They're not finishing with 135 points or whatever they finished with. Agreed. They are going they losing Bergeron and Krejci and not having career years out of everybody else on the team. I realistically see the Bruins loot dropping 30 to 35 points in the standings this year. Right back to the they'll still be a, they'll still be at 100 points or more, 
but I can see them dropping 15, 10 to 15 I'm, games. I mean, that's pretty, I don't want to say obvious, but when you have a, like a record breaking year, like they did, it's, I don't want to say it's expected that you're not going to follow it up with the exact same. So yeah, I don't think that's a wild statement to say that they're going to go no. back down to like hundred ish points. Yeah. I mean, some people out there think that Boston's not going to like repeat at one thirty five, but they're not going to take that much of a drop off either. I just don't see it over eighty two. I don't see Coyle and Zaka really being that much of a difference maker. Night in, like they still got Pasternak and Marshan. Like they're going to score, but I, I just over the length of the season, I do see Boston have a sig- in terms of point reduction, a significant reduction, but still being over 100 points. We were just a year early in saying that Boston's going to regress. So, you know. Just... Yes. <laughs> and I have a Boston and Tampa kind of like in that 3-4. Either one could finish 3 or 4. Okay. And I say that because obviously Tampa has no Vasilevsky for the first two months of the season. Yeah. If they can Stamkos is out too. Yes, and Stamkos. I don't know how long or how severe, but yeah, like he, he is okay. But if Tampa can stay close to that like wild card area while Vashilevsky's out, that man's coming back, he's gonna be arrested and mm-hmm. he, he's a freak. Like he's gonna put up ridiculous numbers because he's rested. We all know how so Tampa not... does when they rest players. So, yeah, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I I'm not counting out either one of those teams, but I think they will be three and four. And I just think over the course of the season, they have a Sabers have their question marks. I will touch on those in a, in a couple minutes after you guys both give your take on the Atlantic. Um, so I have them three and four, and then. Florida also has injury problems until December, January. So I have, I have Florida finishing sixth. And Justin, mm-hmm. your Ottawa Senators, I have as five. That's right. You put respect on the name. That's right. <laughs> and simply, and now again, if Florida and Tampa are both like right around that wild card spot when they all both get all healthy. That's six teams right there that are going to be basically slugfest from January to early April every night. And you're telling me all six of those teams, fully healthy, are worse than the Rangers and Penguins? Mike, that's right. I did. I mean, when you put it it like that, actually, like, that's a that's a solid like. Here's my essay. I'll take my A plus now, please. Like, that gauntlet has been thrown down. <laughs> Stretch it out. Stretch it out, Charles. Stretch it out. All right. All right. All right. Justin, you want you want to take a crack or? Uh, you you got you to... you stretched. You're you're good to go. You put you in. I'm putting you in. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Uh, shout out John Fogarty. Um, <laughs> all right. Atlantic Division, yes, Toronto Maple Leafs have the fewest questions about them. And I, you know, as a Montreal Canadiens fan, I'm wearing a half jersey. It hurts to say this, but I do have them 
as my pick to finish number one in the division. The only question marks these teams have is come April, what can they do? So whoever they face in the wild card round, you know, how much hype do they have? How hot are they going in? Here's where the Atlantic gets interesting. I've got Boston having a bit more of a fade off than you do, actually. No, no Bergeron, no Krejci. Bergeron was their heart and soul. I don't care what people say about Mar- Marshawn. The heart and soul was the, is Patrice Bergeron. hundred percent. I actually had them falling off from 135 points. I had them falling off 40 points to 95. Oh. Wow. That's ballsy of you, sir. That's ballsy. But, but it's only because two teams in the Atlantic are – I'm. So I'm projecting to take a big step forward and they're going to lose and Boston will lose points to these teams based on those steps forward. Who are those teams, Charles? Who are those teams? Well, I'm going to get to that in just a second there, Sean. I'm going to get to that in a second. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, d- I too would like to very much know. If you, uh, <laughs> I, th- I think we, we might already know who's behind curtain number one and two, but uh, continue. <laughs> continue. <laughs> Here's my thing. I actually have the Tampa Bay Lightning number two. Because Vasilevsky, when he comes back in, he's going to be throwing up great game after great game after great game. And if Tampa is in a wild card spot, they're fighting around, they're going to make a run. They're going to find some cap gymnastic, some trade to make to get a difference maker at the deadline. They're do they the have any draft players. picks to do that, though? Like, honestly, do they they'll have any draft away. picks left to do that? They'll find a way. They're, they're, they're the Eastern Conference version of the Vegas Knights. They find a way to make a trade happen. Somehow, some way. That so fair, but I can't even argue that. But so here, here's the thing. We talked Boston, a, a bit of a drop-off. I think Florida, too, is going to have a big drop-off. Because they're missing Montour, they're missing Ekblad, and they don't have Rago Gudis at all this year. He's gone. He wants, he, he wants sunnier weather. So you're missing three of your top six defensemen. You can't just replace that that easily. Plus, they traded Mackenzie Wigner two two summers ago. So that's a huge remake of their defense score that has to go for two months. Is Bobrovsky that good? No. Way too streaky. Uh, I don't know. May and June kind of says otherwise. But I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying about Bobrovsky. But – 2028 games versus 82. Different beast. So I think the Panthers are going to take a bit of a tumble down and they'll be they'll be fighting maybe for a wild card spot. Maybe. Just like they were last year. But the two teams that I've got that are going to make some real noise in the Atlantic Division, health permitting, especially the both teams' goaltending units, because that is going to be big, big for both these teams. Is Justin's Ottawa Senators and Sean's Buffalo Sabres. There it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> okay. The Ottawa Senators have done just about everything right, save shining, signing Shane Pinto. Justin, how does it feel for the first time in years to be a salary cap ceiling team? You, you know, it, it feels weird to say. Like, it it just, it the words can't quite come out of my mouth properly. Anything come out of mine. The, the, the fact that people are actually talking positively about my team and I don't have to defend them, like it just, I, I, I'm in a weird spot and I don't know how to feel, but it feels good. 
It's it's a good feeling. I just wasn't prepared. I had I didn't see the Carolina game, unfortunately. No work prevented me from that. I had a Same. chance to sit down and watch Philadelphia and Tampa's game. Those two over the weekend. And the the immediate differences I see in the Ottawa Senators this year versus the last four or five years, they started on time. I mentioned this a podcast episode or two ago. They started on time. They were ready to go when the puck dropped, and they scored early in both games. They, they weren't waiting until the second or third period to get their first of the game. It was a two and a half minutes in against the Flyers and about midway through the first against Tampa, right? Mm-hmm. They're getting contributions on the defense. Three goals, nine points already on the season from their defense. Kachuk, uh, Stutzla, and Giroux already have 11 points on the year combined. Kachuk's got four goals. Tarasenko's on the board already. Ridley Gregg is performing well in the secondary spot without Josh Norris and Shane Pinto on the lineup. This team is playing like a fucking team like it's supposed to have. Anton Forsberg was great against the Flyers. Jonas Corposato had a rough nighting against Carolina, but that could be attributed to the first game jitters. You're still trying to get the rust off. Preseason doesn't do enough of that. He put great against Tampa Bay. The two goals he let up are not his fault. He was hung up on the drive both times. So while the Sens did have a couple defensive breakdowns both games, they were limited. They weren't consistent breakdowns. The Senators limited shots against Tampa Bay, something they couldn't do at all last year. So if these strides are season-long, they're not just temporary, if these are season-long, there's no question in my mind the Ottawa Senators are a top-three team in the, in the Atlantic Division. And that... <coughs> excuse me. Sorry, Sean, that's where I have them, fin- the Buffalo Sabres, finishing in the top wild-card spot. No, I can see that. I can see that. I just, I mean, I had a bit of a homer in me and put the Sabres higher. But I could see that happening, though, too, what you're saying. Now... The, now Tampa Bay could just as easily finish there, and, and Bottle Buffalo could finish 2-3 in any order mm-hmm. you like in the Division 2. That could just as easily happen. So I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility. I've got Buffalo finishing fourth in the Atlantic just because their goaltending has some questions. Some. They got some big questions. Oh, I'm a Sabres fan. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know what? But we've seen goalies come out of nowhere before and lead on people on runs. So to me, they don't have as many questions. I just think that the only real question is sustainability. That's my only real question for them. Can they sustain their play? You've got the defense. I had a chance to see Buffalo here in Ottawa last year sitting two rows on the ice. So I got a good look at Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power up close, like where I saw the sweat coming off these guys. I saw them coming on the bench. I saw them talking to the coaches. These guys are the real deal. There's a reason why you just lock these two up long term. I see them good contracts. So by, by the way, well done, Buffalo front office. Well done yes. seeing them together. You've got a forward group with um, Alex Tuck and Tage Thompson who are just physical monsters. Thompson's what, 6'6"? 6'5", 6'6"? I think he's 6'6", maybe 6'7". He's on the he's on the higher end of 6'6". But he skates like someone who's 6'2". He's fast oh, for yeah. a giant. Tuck is no different. He has great hands. He has great hands for a man yes, that big. Yes, he does. Your offense is not a question anymore. For the first time since Danny Briere and Chris Drury back in you know 2006, 2007, your offense mm-hmm. isn't a question really. You're not, you're not wondering where the goals are going to come from. No. The only question Buffalo has is can they keep enough pucks out of their net? That's the only thing really to me, the only question they have. Mm-hmm. It's really the same question the Pittsburgh Penguins have, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Can they keep the puck out of the net? So I've got 
four. You know, like I, right now, I've sort of got it penciled in as four four from each division, but that last wild card spot is two teams really. It can come down to any well, you can come down to any one of four different teams really. So I've got Buffalo, I've got Ottawa, I've got Tampa, and I've got Toronto making the playoffs in the Atlantic. I've got Jersey, I've got Carolina, I've got Pittsburgh in the Metro. Where it comes down to is Rangers, Florida. Wow. My argument did not sway you at all. I gave a very <laughs> convincing A plus plus essay argument. <laughs> you gave a great argument. You gave a great argument, and the, the the minor holes in that argument can't be stretched wide enough to shatter it. I just see that in – now, do I think Pittsburgh goes past the first round? That's a different story. I see the Rangers having to fight harder for the goals they're going to get. Pittsburgh won't have to fight hard to get the goals. They're going to have to fight hard to keep them out of their net. And in the 82-game regular season, I think that's what's going to be the difference between Pittsburgh making it and the Rangers having to fight for get, having to get in. Shesterkin has shown he can be great, but when he consistently is barraged shot for shot, he cracks. Some goalies, mm-hmm. Matt Demberder, Craig Anderson, you know, a couple other goalies we can mention, do well when they see 40-plus shots a game. Shesterkin's not one of them. So that's where I see if the Rangers start getting cycled down, they, they, they can't get the offense going. I think the Rangers have too much star power in the wrong positions. Alexei Lafreniere should not have ever played third line for more than a month. Not two seasons. Or three seasons. See, I'm not sold on him. I'm not sold on him. I have never been sold on him. Even at the World Juniors when he had that phenomenal tournament, I've never been completely sold on him. I said that when the Rangers won the draft, they should have traded that pick because they didn't need a player like that. They had a top six already set. And it was only going to hurt his, his growth and make him look like a bust. If you put Lafreniere in Ottawa at that time or Montreal, that kid's probably already putting up seventy point seasons, eighty point seasons by now. Mm-mm, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't. He's he's the he's the facilitator. He's the guy that gets the he's the, he's the straw that stirs the drink. He has to be that player. He doesn't play second fiddle when it comes to the offense. You saw that on Team Canada when he was on the ice. He wanted the puck. He made things happen because he drew coverage and he leaves people open. He, was, he would have picked up 70 points. Would it have been 50 goals? No, it would probably be 25, 30 goals, 40 assists. But he would have already been putting up numbers, and he would, he would look like a decent first-round pick. Would he have been worthy of number one overall? Still debate that for another few years to come. But he would have looked like a pretty damn good pick. The Rangers did him a disservice by picking him, and I will maintain that till the day I die. They, we they can didn't have that him. argument on another episode, but I do yeah. not agree with what you just said about him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've got the rain. The Rangers, like I said, they have the wrong talent in the wrong positions, and it's actually hurting them because they've they've, the, they've built their team a certain way to try and accommodate these guys. It's not working. Come playoff time, was it working for them? No. They need to change their team a little bit. I think they did a decent enough job picking up guys like Blake Wheeler. In the offseason, it's going to give them a little more to use the Brian Burke term truculence. It's going to give them a little bit harder term, a little bit harder team to play against in the corners. Mm. Is it enough? I don't think so. I really don't think so. 
to, to secure a top three spot, though, in, in, in a division. Is it enough to win a playoff series? Make the playoffs. Show me. But like I said, I've got it being Boston. Not Boston. Toronto. Like I said, Boston will, will follow down. Boston could be a third team fighting with the Florida and the Rangers for that last wild card spot. Don't forget about them. Remember, last year was what? There was 92 points in the East? 95 points in the East? Uh, I think it was 92. I think the Sabres had 91, and they missed out by one point. So I think the, the Bruins will have just enough points that they would have qualified, you know, versus last year they would qualify, but will it be enough this year? So I, I think when it comes to when Boston faces Ottawa and Buffalo, they're in for a wild ride. Because the Senators have shown that they're willing to throw the body at anything that moves. And that's Boston-style hockey. So they're going to take the Bruins all style to, to them. And Buffalo has enough bodies now that they can just say, hey, anything you can do, we can do better. And they've got, you know, Paige Thompson can match David Pasternak snipe for snipe. Really. When you, when, you know, when, you, when you look at it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He... Like Thompson's probably going to right around 50 goals this year. Same with Pasta. You know what? Pasta, and this, again, this might be an unpopular take with Bruins fans. Pasta had the benefit of playing with Bergeron, especially on the power play. So he had a lot of wide open looks at the net. He didn't consistently come down the wing and snipe like Thompson did. Thompson's specialty is coming in off the rush on his off wing and sniping a top corner. That's yeah, not he's got two things. That's not he's got that and he's got the one-timer. Pasternak has a, a great, you know, deking and backhand, but he's got to be down low. He's not going to get mm-hmm. that space as easily now that Bergeron's gone. No, Bergeron people drew... can cheat more to him. Exactly. That's they don't have cost... to worry about. That's going to cost Pasternak 15 goals, and then that will turn cost Boston. That alone will cost Boston five games. Mm-hmm. That's 10 points right there. You know, I could go on and on. You know, I, I could do my own essay on the Bruins, why they're going to fall. I'll leave that for another day, perhaps. <clears throat> but no, that that last wildcard spot is going to come down to the Bruins, the Panthers, and the Rangers. The Penguins do make the playoffs as a top three team in the, in the Metro. Buffalo and Ottawa will fight out for number three in the Atlantic. The loser of that gets top wildcard spot. And then we see how the playoffs go from there. The only question is, does Toronto or Carolina or Jersey, one of those three, take the number one spot to face off against the bottom wildcard team? I'm calling the Devils, but that's just... That's not a bad pick. That's not no. a bad pick. Yeah. The, the Leafs may not... You know, we talked to the Atlantic, might be the hardest team because even though we haven't talked... We haven't really said that the, the Red Wings at all, they're not going to be any fun to play against. They're going to Man, be you read my mind. Them. I was literally just about to say that myself. We haven't even touched on the Red Wings yet. <laughs> the Montreal Canadiens, I think you gave short shrift to because last year the Montreal Canadiens, I think, set a record or, or had the second highest man games lost ever in NHL history since the stat was, was ever tracked. Hey, they're on good track to match that this year. Kirby Doc's already out long term. I'm still things. That kid just cannot find it. <laughs> We celebrate all accomplishments here on the Sports United podcast. <laughs> but here's the thing. The Canadians have better depth this year than they did last year. And some of their depth pieces got some NHL exposure last year. So they're a little more accustomed and they're ready to go. 
provided that overall health stays with the team, that we don't see 90% of our starting lineup miss 15 games plus. The Montreal Canadiens will have a 15-point improvement, at least over last year. Wow. They had fifty. They had sixty-eight points last year. Eighty points is not. But a, I'm just 18. saying, you have you have Boston dropping forty, so you got them losing twenty more games, and you got Montreal basically winning eight to ten more games this year. Eight. I know fifteen's cutting, them, but you know, I just that's got some hot takes tonight, man. There, there was a lot of games last year. Montreal could could have won with a healthy roster, and should have won with a healthy roster. So that's what I'm saying. With a healthy roster, this happens. Without a healthy roster, all bets are off. So remember, there is a little caveat right there. Montreal stays healthy. They get 75 games from Coffield, from Suzuki, from Slavkovsky, from Anderson, from Newhook, Monaghan. You know, I, I just I ranked off most of the top nine. I'd say you know, named a lot of forwards there. I didn't hear a defenseman, though. No, but, but I'm saying, but you just get 75 games from them. That's an that's worth three games right there. That's worth three games. Caden Goulet, Jordan Harris, Savard, all stay healthy and play 70 plus games because Goulet missed 25 games last year, at least if not more than that. Savard missed time. There's another three to five games worth worth a pickup. There's there's your eight games, right there. There's your eight. This is like I think we have another episode on just <laughs> hockey, just the two of us going back and forth. Stephen A. Smith eats your heart out. This is that'll, that'll get spicy. Yeah. Uh, again, like I, I'm not like saying that Montreal can't. I just it's a big and, ask, but it, can it is a big ask. And like I, honestly, like Slavkovsky, he has potential, but. You know, he's still very much unproven. Outside of Suzuki and Caulfield, they're not looking like they don't have much offense. I know that you'll have guys chip in like Anderson. He'll get 15 to 20 goals. Slavkovsky will probably get 12 to 18, I think. Newhook is probably the same. I just think those guys aren't guys that are going to win you games. Like Caulfield and Suzuki are the guys that are going to win Montreal games. And I just don't know if they have enough guys to help them do that for the whole season. Montreal isn't going to win games like they like they played the first night versus Toronto. They're not going to win six five. They're going to win a lot of three one two one games. You so, put yeah that much faith in Jake Allen? Sam Montembeau, actually, not Jake Allen. Sam Montembeau. Now, now I'm going to tell do you with why, that much faith in Montreal goalies. <laughs> I'm gonna com- I'm gonna com- I'm gonna you know compile two hours of conversation and, and observation into about five minutes for you. I watched a lot of Montreal preseason games and I had a chance to watch Montreal the last preseason game here against Ottawa. I got a chance to go to that game, and I sat right near the ice level, so I was watching them at ice level. Montembeau is better positionally this year. He's tracking his rebounds better, and his glove is faster. He was making saves that he wasn't making last year. He had a lot of experience at the Worlds, leading Canada to gold there. So he's grown. His growth as a player. This is also a contract year for him. Keep that in mind. What do players do in contract years? They play their hearts out. Most so of the time. Well, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, allowing for good health. They play their hearts out. Slavkovsky, 
looks far more comfortable on the ice this year than he did last year. Last year, he looked like a fucking babe on like a newborn colt on ice. He doesn't really know where he was going. This year, I watched him cut through Ottawa Senator players like it was a hot night through butter and put himself in front of the net, providing screens, doing the getting down low, throwing the body, taking the body, and laughing. Like enjoying himself. He's more comfortable in his own skin. He's more aware of what he's supposed to do on the ice. He's more aware that, oh, I'm six foot, almost six foot four and 220 pounds. I can be a bull if I want to be. He still has to do that routinely, but I saw I saw that that game. He he looked far more comfortable. So I think that the growth of this team is going to happen. I think that this team, again, all provided on good health. All I'm saying, all of I'm saying, is provided that Montreal's Canadiens stay relatively healthy all year long. If they have another season like last year, they're going to do exactly what they did last year, and they're going to have under seven points. So I'm fully aware that if bad health comes, we're not even going to come close to what I'm hoping for and predicting. But good health for the Montreal Canadiens, you will see a marked improvement, and you will see them rise up quite a bit in the standings, and they won't be anywhere near bottom five. Okay, so I'm just going to – so are you talking bottom five for the league as a whole? Yeah, or for the conference. Well, now conference gonna be tough because you you first said like you you said an issue with me putting them at the bottom, but I had them in the bottom of the conference. Well, no, I have them, and I think I the bottom of the East is still much better than the bottom of the West. No, I still have them finishing ahead of Columbus, ahead of Philadelphia, which I did too. I did too. I have them finishing on par with Washington. Okay, so virtually I had them in the same spot. You're calling me out for nothing here, Charles, man. Let's Hold on, but when you said bottom five, I thought you were talking league. So I'm like, no, there's going to be about seven or eight teams below them. Montreal, yeah. will not be picking top, Montreal will not be picking top five in this draft. No, 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 no. Like Anaheim, San Jose, Philly. Arizona, Columbus. I, I don't, I'm not sold on Arizona, but like Chicago. Yeah. You know, I, like those teams will be below. I think Montreal's still very close to top ten, though pick i don't know i have the atlantic there's there's seven teams above them in the atlantic that on paper are better than is detroit that much better than them though really yes yes detroit has as many many prospects going through their system as montreal does and they're counting on their veterans to to actually stay healthy and play and they're counting on dylan larkin to still carry the load and I, I'm not. Are, are you sold on Billy Huso being the answer in net? I I think Huso is better than Allen and Montembeau. Combined? Yes. Oh, I truly man. do. I truly do. What are you um, drinking over there? Uh, my good old Pepsi. Thank you very much. Must be that Buffalo water, Jesus. <laughs> uh, give me cider over any of Montreal's defense, and this is not a Wait, shot at Montreal's defense. Kate not a Gould. shot at them. Give me cider over any of the Montreal defenders. Cider looked like a babe in the woods last year after his rookie year. His rookie year, he looked great, but he looked like a fish out of water and Goulet wearing circles around him. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens come April, okay? We'll revisit this talk of these two teams. <laughs> um, but, you know, the forwards, though, are – they are similar groups. Like, like, I, like I said, Montreal – at the end of the day, their their big guns are Caulfield and Suzuki. They're the guys that are going to be providing the most offense. For Detroit, it's Larkin and Debrinkit. There you go. A guy coming off, you know, a sixteen goal drop. 
Yeah, but he, he didn't like Ottawa. That's why he didn't want to stay there. He didn't like Ottawa. Yeah. Hey, I'm, just, I'm just saying, okay? Just saying. That, I didn't have Patrick Kane dish him in the puck all the time either. That does hurt anybody's stats. Okay, no, that part, that part I'll buy. Yeah. That one part but of your I, argument. Yeah. Um, again, just in all fairness to your senators, none of them are on the skill level of prime Patrick Kane currently. Stutzla one day. Stutzla maybe one day surpass Patrick Kane. That kid is the real deal. I will say that. Oh man, that's no pressure, Tim Stutzla. Yeah, <laughs> but the German I just Gretzky, think it's fine. You know, him and Leon. <laughs> wow, that's 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 a hot take right there, bud. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's a hot. Okay, listen to what I just said. The German. You got a pretty Gretzky. damn good German in your city you're currently living. I would take Leon Dreisaitl any day of the week. Yes, I would too. But I just think, as a whole, as a whole, I do think Detroit is better than Montreal. And a lot of people are pegging, like they're lumping Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit in the same basket. Yes, I've read of that. the teams that take that that step up, and I, I think you and I draw the same agreement. Buffalo and Ottawa are up here. Detroit's still probably down here, right? Like they're not as close as some of these people are saying. Hundred percent agree with you. I even put Detroit further down than where people are, are putting them. Like they, they mm-hmm. had the media has them there, like they have mm-hmm. them there. You and I have them here. I have it that like even more of a gap. Yeah. Tomorrow night, we're going to get a good test because Detroit's playing Pittsburgh. There you go. And I, you know, looking at the standings and everything, because uh, at this point of the year, you're looking at, I think, goal forwards and against instead of like points, because obviously a lot of teams are, you know, there are four teams tied for technically first with four <laughs> points. And then it's the goal differential or, you know, wins losses. But you know, Detroit has 13 forward, 8 against uh, in 3 games. Ottawa has 13 goals, 9 against. Uh, and then you get Toronto, 14 goals, 13 against. So, I and, you know, 6 of those goals come from Matthews. Um, but then, you know, Montreal's at 8-8, eight and eight, so they're even. Tampa's 11-14 and 14 with a Vasilevsky. Panthers are eleven or eight and eleven, and then you get Buffalo, uh, who I believe is winning. Uh, two Last to I one. checked, they're winning two enough. Oh, two to yeah. one now. Two to one, yeah. But you know they're three to eight. So like the you know the conversation is like it's that you know it could be a slow start for goaltending, um, but you know that's gonna the next two weeks you're gonna have to keep an eye on that goal differential and uh and as well as power play because that's going to set the tone uh for november and december and then that's really going to lay the foundation on whether these teams are legit playoff top three battling a wild card or they're just hopeful speaking of uh, hopeful you can put the we fierce arrest at edmonton they lead Nashville five to one right now and Charles, I'm sorry, I'm rubbing salt on the wounds here. What's the score? Minnesota, Montreal. 
it's the exact same score for every Minnesota. But remember, I told you they play a sound structured system. When they when they do when they stay in that system, they dominate. Am I surprised by that? Too? Not one bit. Two shorthanded goals, two power play goals. Well, I mean, Minnesota. I mean, Vancouver lost two nothing to Philly. Yeah. So I mean, like Vancouver's done already. Let's just throw them in the <laughs> trash. Just. Yes, but again, it's still it's still very early. You can't really read into much of the stuff for at least three to four weeks. To no, get you a have, true you have to look at the, the culture and the systems that are being put in yeah. place, and that's going to give you a good foundation of what to expect, at least until the Christmas break, minus injuries. And then yeah, I think American Thanksgiving's a better target, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah. We already had Thanksgiving, okay, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this made-up holiday in November. Yeah, Black Friday, where everyone goes crazy. Uh, no, it, it's 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 going to be a dogfight, and I think, yeah, I think Detroit, I think people are putting the pressure on Detroit like people were, me included, putting the pressure on Ottawa last year. Like, they should be at a place, but, like, you, I, I'm glad I... Haven't been trying to sell it to you. You guys are seeing it too, so I'm glad I'm not imagining things this year. Um, but there's actual foundation and, like you said, a, a start. And they're playing as a team, not individuals on a team. And that is the biggest difference uh, as well. You know, the, the, take injuries out of equation and all that. Um, you know, Buffalo is right there. I, I look forward to the renewal of the rivalries of 06 and 7 between Buffalo and Ottawa because that was a fun time. Everyone got all... 96, buddy. That goes back uh, to 97, the first year that yeah. they sent them to the playoffs. True, but then everyone remembers the Toronto-Ottawa years and that, that kind of gets lost and then the renewal of that. So this is going to be the renewal of the renewal, Act I three. think. Act <laughs> 3, you know... If, Every good story has three acts, so I think it's those games are going to be hard hitting, must see TV. Well, give me um, seven, give me seven games of Ottawa Buffalo in a playoff series. Hell yeah! I say what before we move on too much further. Would you guys agree that Buffalo and Ottawa are now becoming the Boston Tampa Bay of the last five years in the Atlantic? Hundred percent. Like uh, it's yep. gonna if you like it's gonna be those two teams at the top every year battling it out. Well, and that's even thing like the favorites. Like Toronto Charles Buffalo has been saying, we'll have to take a step back eventually. Ottawa and Buffalo will assume the power, the the the, uh, the, the positions of power, hmm. and they'll probably be about a four to five year period where they are the supreme beings of the Atlantic Division. What they do with it during that time will dictate the futures of the franchise from there. And what Charles was saying, like with Vasilevsky out two weeks, like if there's a setback, even like yeah. even in Stamkos or what, if there's a setback on any of those people that pushes it farther, and like you said, you know, they find a way, they're always, you know, rested, and that's always going to be good for a deep run. But setbacks push you back farther and puts you more in a hole. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if, if, or if any other team, you know, faces a large setback, uh, going forward, those, you know, maybe even if there's enough of a setback in enough teams, a, if a team like Detroit finds itself sneaking in in the last wild card, that, that could be possible given the right circumstances. But, you know, there are teams that are ready to strike right now and they just need to slip up. You know, how far does Boston go from their 135 down? 
well, you know, there's Buffalo and Ottawa right there to take those points right back and, you know, be in the mix. You know, how how far does Florida slip? Do they go, do they finish six, seven? You know, those points are up for grabs, those everything right there. So it's it's a tight and there's no room for error. Those injuries kind of double, you know, you you, you have an injury. It's I don't want to say you're giving away four points, but it's like when you no, face no, each other, it's a four point game instead of just a normal mm-hmm. two point if you're facing a Western Conference team. So there's those huge swings and those, you know, uh, long winter days. And when you're playing a road swing in January, you have a homestead in January, February. Those are really going to matter. Uh, and you're really going to have to take those rest days to like seriously because you're you're going to need every single one just to get to April. Hundred percent. We we talk we've been talking health about key players. Buffalo, it's it's Tate Thompson, it's Rasmus Dahlin, and it's their goaltending in general. Mm-hmm. Ottawa's Ottawa's almost it's actually the same thing goaltending in general, but it's two defensemen Sanderson and Chikrin and Brady Kachuk. Mm-hmm. As far as the forwards go, Kachuk is the straw that stirs the drink there. He's again, we talked about so Christine Sinclair earlier. We mentioned him in the podcast. Other players, you know, of, of greatness, they drag their teams kicking and screaming. That's Brady Kachuk in Ottawa. That's well, and, and, his brother did last this. year in the playoffs. Yeah, right. Yes. Like they, they, they exact. They're the exact same player. Exactly. Now he might be a, a little bit better offensively, but at the end of the day, they're the same player. They are the heart and soul. They stir the pot. They will drag yep. their team kicking and screaming to whatever so, success they get to. So all those players I just mentioned with both teams, if they stay healthy, the team reaches its potential this year. Significant injuries to one part, they might falter. They might still make the playoffs, but they'll be – they won't be as, as good as they should be. Significant injuries to two parts, season's done. And they will we'll be talking this time next year, can the, can they overcome the injuries and stay healthy? There you have you it. Said it. Easy, <laughs> easy peasy. That's just you know, simple simple analysis. We're, we totally, you know, I wonder how much, if we pick every single team to make the playoffs, I wonder how much... We, we pay off everyone's student loan on the podcast. Just, well, just, um, but let's do a two dollar each bet, combine it for ten dollar futures bet, and see what happens. Let's see. Uh, so, uh, let us know what you think. Social media, Sports United Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, Sports United Podcast at gmail.com. If you have a, a comment or a, you know a few words you want to speak to one of us, um, let us know what you think. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, very, very soon for the next episode of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, enjoy the fall weather, the crisp air, winter's here, and it's a wonderful time because hockey's back and couldn't be happier. Stay safe and sport on.